Good morning. Yes, thank you. Good to see you. Hey, my name is Austin, and uh, I also have the privilege of leading with Salt Company Minneapolis. Uh, we're excited for the year. Yeah, come on. Let's go. Hey, I don't know if you knew this, but we are on the verge of welcoming a bunch more college students into the room, and we're excited about it. So, uh, yeah, get ready. Sunday mornings might get a little bit more rowdy. The youth, you know, we're excited. Uh, I have a question for you as we get started this morning. Thank you, Kaylee, for reading Psalm 121. That's where we're going to be for this morning. But my question for you is this. Are you a car sitter? Are you a car sitter? Maybe you don't know what this is. My wife knows what this is. She, you know, she knows that I am a car sitter. A car sitter is somebody who hops into the front seat and stays there for a little while to do what, you might ask? To choose the right song for the journey. My wife thinks that the first thing you should do in the car is turn it on, get the AC running, and then go, you know, actually drive. But, you know, as a car sitter, the primary goal is finding the perfect song for the travel. You know, you gotta match the mood to wherever you're going. You gotta make sure that the vibe is exactly how you want it. In the summertime, you want a song that you can roll the windows down, you know, you can sing loudly. If it's a rainy day, you choose the somber song, right? Car sitter, you gotta find the right mood for the drive. Psalm 121, I don't know if you knew this, is like a road trip song. It's a song for traveling, it's a tune for the traveler, one might say. In Psalm 121, we get a glimpse at way back in ancient Middle East, we've got a guy embarking on a journey towards Jerusalem super stoked to get to the place of worship, but he needed the right song for the journey. So that's where we're at this morning. And in this song, we find three comforts. So that's where we're gonna, that's where we're gonna be this morning. We're talking about three comforts for the traveler in Psalm 121. And the first one, what your eyes see. Would you read the first couple of verses with me of Psalm 121? It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So like I said, this guy is on a journey towards Jerusalem. The hills here would likely be the mountains surrounding the city of Jerusalem. He's excited to get there because they would associate one thing with the city. They would associate it with worship because the temple was there. So this guy is excited to get to where he's going to be able to worship with his people, but he's on a long journey. And so in the middle of this journey, you know, he's maybe facing some evils. He's maybe facing some dangerous, treacherous territory. He'll be vulnerable. He'll be exposed. And so he's got to ask the question, hey, where does my help come Who's going to help me get from where I am to where I want to be? And he reaches the conclusion by looking to the hills. My help comes from the Lord. He sees the city of Jerusalem, and he's reminded that there's a place of worship in there, and he's reminded that the thing that's going to help him get there isn't just the place, but it's what the place is for. It's who the place is for. His help comes from the Lord. Even though he was far off from his destination, he knew that he was not far from the Lord. Question for you 
Can you say the same thing about the journey that you're on? What's the thing that's helping you get to where you want to go? Are you acknowledging God like even in the middle of your journey? Isn't it true that like most of us love to acknowledge the presence of God, love to acknowledge the help of God after we've arrived where we're trying to go? Once God has come through for us, then we acknowledge him. Once he's helped us get to the destination that we were hoping for, that's when we say God is good. When the money's coming in, when the relationships are stable, when you're first place in your fantasy football league, God is good, right? It's when you arrive at where you wanna be. That's often when we give praise, that's often when we give our attention to God, but is it in the middle of the journey? That's what I think is so sweet about the beginning of this psalm is it reminds us that there's even a song for us in the middle of the journey when we haven't arrived yet. Okay, I want you to just picture yourself as this ancient Middle Eastern traveler. You got your sandals on, you're going, cruising through the desert. Now, metaphorically speaking, you've got some hills ahead of you. Think about your dreams, your goals, the place you're trying to go, the person you're trying to be. What is that for you? Are you trying to be a great husband, a great wife? Are you trying to graduate college? Are you trying to successfully launch a business? Are you trying to put together that perfect resume? What is the goal that you've got? These are the hills. See them, appreciate them. It's a beautiful thing to have sweet goals for your life. But be like the psalmist here. Don't stop when you see the hills. Look beyond them. See something even more motivating. See something even more valuable. See the creator of the heavens and the earth. That's what the psalmist sees. He's looking beyond the hills. And when he sees the creator of the heavens and earth, this is what he's feeling, that God is not just far out, distant from him, but that he's near. He's near, he's with him as he's on the journey. My mom is awesome, and she has run several marathons in her life. And I would remember, this was several years ago, but my family would go and support her, so we would try and find you know, we'd try and calculate, like, where is she going to be at mile five, mile 10, you know? And then we'd camp out there for a little bit, and we'd search the audience waiting for her to run by. And, you know, you've got, like, the super cramped guy, like, running all sideways. You've got the super salty people that are, like, all they wore was black, and so the lining is just white now. It's kind of nasty. But then we would see my mom, beautiful, you know, wind flowing in her hair, killing it. And she would be, you know, 10 miles in, and we'd wave, make a big noise. Yeah, mom, we love you, you know, you got this. Then she'd run by, and then we'd go camp out at the next mile marker, maybe mile 20. And then eventually, we would meet her at the finish line, right? Celebrating with her, you made it. I think that the thing that was more encouraging was not meeting her at the finish line, but encouraging her along the way, letting her know that we are for her. We're stoked that she's running. She's running hard, and we just wanna cheer her on as she goes. It was reward enough to cross the finish line for her, but the more motivating piece was realizing that there were people along the way cheering her on. 
God is cheering you on. He is your help to take one more step forward. He's not just waiting at the finish line, distant from you, hoping that you cross the line with a smile on your face. No, he's with you. He's even better than meeting you at each mile marker. He's running alongside you. The creator of the universe is not distant, but he draws near to you. When we go back all the way to the creation story, right? The psalmist is saying he created the heavens and the earth. This is the thing that we learned, the fundamental thing we learned during creation, that God wanted to walk with his people. This is how it all started, right? In the garden, God was walking with Adam and Eve. But here's when things went awry because Adam and Eve thought it would be better to walk alone thought it would be better if they were their own God, if they had total control of their lives. This is the thing that you and I have in common with Adam and Eve, that we actually like don't want to walk with God really. We don't want him to guide our steps. We think we know what's best. This didn't work out very well. That's why the journey is troublesome now. That's why there's pain and suffering. That's why there's arduous paths for us. And it made it so that our relationship with God, there was now a rift, and we couldn't really walk with him. We couldn't actually have perfect relationship with him based on our own merit. We couldn't now achieve in order to be with God. Our choice to leave relationship with him had such a destructive effect on it that we could now no longer earn the right to walk with him. We would need the unthinkable to happen. We would need him to pursue us. And that's what happened. That's why Jesus put on flesh. The creator of the heavens and the earth decided to walk in his creation, to humble himself and restore that relationship. This is the gospel. So the invitation for us is this. Not that we would try and earn our way back into relationship with God, but that we would simply lift up our eyes. See that God is near. Get your eyes off the hills and see the divine has come to walk with you. Look to Jesus. That's the first comfort of the traveler, that God came near, fixing your eyes on an intimate God. Okay, what's number two? Comfort number two. It's, what, it's how your soul rests. If comfort number one is what your eyes see, this is how your soul rests. I want you to picture yourself once again in the sandals of the Middle Eastern traveler. Going hard each day, right? But this is when he would become the most vulnerable, is when he would choose to lay down his head and rest for the night. To set up the tent and lie down and become completely unconscious. Sleep. Everybody goes to sleep, right? I slept last night. Oh, nice. But when it comes to somebody determined on a path, right? You guys know this. When you're going hard at what you're trying to do, when you're determined to reach a destination, sometimes those are the times when it's the hardest to go to sleep. Why? Focused on where you're at. Maybe unsatisfied with how much progress you made that day. And when you choose to go to bed at night, you're choosing to be vulnerable. You're choosing to 
let a little bit of control seep out of your fingertips. You leave the grind for maybe eight hours or so, and you have to let whatever you were working on come to a halt. You'll be completely unconscious. Have you ever thought about how humbling sleep is? You gotta be completely unconscious. You can't do anything when you sleep. You're just out of it. Oh, it's one of the most humble actions you could take each day, and yet, some of us in this room know what it's like to put your head on the pillow and rest your body while your soul is completely unsettled. Some of you know what it's like to force your body down to try and rest, but actually your mind is going a million miles an hour. Why? It's maybe not as innocent as you might think. You're worried that as you go to sleep, that God's going to sleep too. You're worried that when you lose a little bit of control, that there's nobody out there that's holding it all together. Let's read verse four. He, God, the Lord, will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Here is a beautiful reality for you this morning. You can fall asleep because God doesn't. God never becomes unconscious. He's awake. He's been awake this whole time, active, moving for your good, never falling asleep, never losing control. He's not groggy. He's not dozing off at the wheel. He doesn't need a Red Bull every once in a while to stay alert. He is attentive at the wheel. He's so different than us. And what's he doing 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year? What is he doing? He's keeping you, preserving you, caring for you. It's so simple, but we need this reminder. We need a God who is awake. There's a crazy story, really cool story in 1 Kings. 1 Kings 18, it's the story where they're on a mountain. It's this guy named Elijah who knows the God of Israel believes in him, and he's got these worshipers of Baal, a false god, around him. And they want to have a challenge. So the, the worshipers of Baal are like, hey, let's create two altars, one for Baal, one for the God of Israel. And we'll chop up a sacrifice, and whoever, whoever God pours down fire onto their altar, that's the God that's most powerful. And so they chop up the sacrifice, they call on Baal, nothing, silent. And I love this. This is what Elijah says to them. He says, maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's relieving himself. Their God was falling asleep. Okay, and then Elijah calls on the God of Israel, but first they dump a whole bunch of water on the altar, soak it up. And then boom, fire came down from the God of Israel. He was not asleep. We need a God that is not asleep. And the God of Israel never slumbers, never sleeps. He's completely attentive. 
And maybe the fact that we will spend like a third of our entire life completely unconscious was not an accident. Maybe this was God baking into the fabric of humanity that we needed a reminder to be humble as we ought to be. Maybe we needed a reminder once a day that we don't have control. So the people who sleep, the people who sleep are humble. Then you start thinking about the people that take naps. Yes. That probably makes you a little bit more humble. Oh, application number one, take another nap, you know? I love naps. I took a nap yesterday. It was great. Oh, man. The one who is awake is the, is the one who's in control. And we are not always awake, so we can't be in control. Man, I thought, I thought back to the days of growing up and going on road trips with my family. Maybe I was just like coming back from grandma and grandpa's house, right? Late at night, the sun has gone down. I'm in the back seat of the minivan, and I just pass out, right? Why can I do that? I can do that just because I trust. I have simple trust that my dad is up at the front of the wheel, and he's staying attentive. He's awake so I can fall asleep. It's simple trust. And that's what we get to do. We can have simple trust when we fall asleep and when we're awake that the one who is in control, the one that is at the wheel, is not going to sleep. Simple question for you today. What's that thing that you need to just kind of give to God? What's that thing that when you're laying your head on your pillow, it doesn't leave your mind? It's over and over keeping you up. What's that thing? The action for you today is to simply trust the God who stays awake, that holds the cosmos together. Believe in a loving creator who holds all things together. This is the second comfort of the traveler. Trusting your soul to the hands of a good God. Number three, the third comfort of the traveler, where evil things end. Let's read verse five. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. How comforting is that? Anybody else notice how he's repeating himself a bunch though? He's basically saying the same thing like four times over again, just slightly different. And even just those last two verses, they've got a triple promise. Triple promise. Did you catch it? The Lord will keep you. He will keep you. The Lord will keep you. He says it three times. Triple promise. Why would he write the same, th same thing three times over? Does he need an editor? No. He's repeating on purpose. Why? Because he wants you to get the main thing here. Wants you to hear what this whole thing is all about. It's the story of grace. The Lord will keep you. The Lord protects you even though you don't deserve it. The Lord looks after you even though you haven't earned that from him. It's grace. It's all about what he can do for you, not what you can do for him. It's supposed to give you rest. 
It's supposed to give you emphasis. The Bible repeats itself all the time. All the time. And it does it for the same reason that you, when you were a kid, would go up to your mom and be like, mom, 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 mom. What? You know, it's the same reason. It's supposed to give your attention to whoever's repeating. Repetition gets your attention. What does the Bible repeat over and over and over again? A God of grace. That God acts towards an undeserving people with love and with grace. That's always been what the Bible is about. He delivers his people from evil over and over again. It climaxes in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, but that is not the only place that you see that story. You see God delivering his people from evil time and time and time again, Old Testament, New Testament, and you see that in your life now. God protecting you from evil. It's no different in Psalm 121, full of repetition. The Lord will keep you. He will keep you. The Lord will keep you. It's not about what you do for him. It's what he does for you. And in the spirit of repeating, let's read that last section again. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Do you guys believe that? How can this make sense? Maybe that's the question that you're asking right now. How does this match up with my lived experience right now? How can the Lord keep me from all evil when even this morning there's pain? How can the Lord keep me from all evil when it feels like brokenness is at every right turn? How can the Lord keep me from all evil when I just received the worst news I could think of last week? How does this match up? How can it be that there's a line in the Bible that says, the Lord keeps me from all evil when a family member is dying, when I'm dying? Isn't that evil? Here's the thing. There's a beautiful reality in these words, but in order to see it, you need the eyes of faith. It's not something that anybody can convince you of. It's something that the Spirit needs to reveal in you. So I'm just praying that he would reveal that to us this morning. This is the beautiful reality of Psalm 121, that you are safe, not from evil things, but you are safe from the evil within anything. Let me unpack this a little bit. While evil things happen to you, while there is even evil within you, yourself, sometimes that's the scariest evil. While evil things happen to you, you could receive the worst news of your life. There could be a phone call that comes later that you would never expect. Evil things could happen. The worst fear could happen. But the evil within them, the thing that makes them terrible, will not have the final say. Evil does not win. 
Evil things may come your way, but the evil one day will come to a screeching halt. Listen to what Revelation 21 foretells about the believer in Christ. It says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Death will die. There will be no more tears, no more pain, no more evil. That is our ultimate destination. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have certain hope that from death comes life. It's the story that evil loses. It doesn't win. So how does the Lord keep us from all evil? By killing evil. By putting it to death. It's gone. It's no more. So even though there's suffering in this life that can make months, years, even decades miserable for us, evil's leash is short and eternity is long. Death does not have the final word. Cancer does not have the final word. Sin does not have the final word. How do we know this? We gotta look to Jesus. It's all baked into his life. And at the end of his life, Jesus was taken outside the city of Jerusalem. Just like the psalmist, Jesus would be able to look to the hills. And when Jesus was put on the cross, he would ask the same question. He would say, Father, why have you forsaken me? He would ask for help. Where does my help come from? It was silent. While the psalmist is able to confidently say, my help comes from the Lord. While we are able to confidently say, my help comes from the Lord, even when it doesn't feel like it. Even when it doesn't feel like God's moving around evil things, he is. But for Jesus, in that moment when he was on the cross asking, where does my help come from? It was silent. God was not his help. He turned his face away. And Jesus let out his final breath because God had turned his face. The reason that you can count on the triple promise of God keeping you, of God preserving you, is because Jesus purchased that for you on the cross. Jesus was denied help so that you could receive it. Jesus was abandoned by God so that God would never leave you. Jesus absorbed the punishment for all evil so that you would be kept from it. The certainty that we can have in the promise of God keeping us for eternity comes from Jesus purchasing it on our behalf. And the beauty of this gift being purchased for you 
is that you can never lose it. You can never lose the keeping of God. In Christ, we have this hope that because of his resurrection, his victorious rise from the grave for all who believe, we will also be raised with him. And so when we sleep, the sleep of death, we will wake up in the resurrection and we will be in the world that Revelation 21 described, a world free from evil, a world free from tears and destruction. This is the third comfort for the traveler, that we are not home yet, and one day we will be, and it will be glorious. And so we see that in Psalm 121, there are three comforts for the traveler. The first, that when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, we know that we have help in our struggle. The second, that when we rest, we can rest our soul in a God who stays awake. And third, that one day all evil will come to an end. Guys, this is the hope of Jesus. He's with us. He's for us. And he's bringing us to our home safely. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this beautiful reality in Psalm 121. Thank you for the simple good news that you're awake right now, attentive, that you're with us wherever we at, not just, not just when we arrive, but that you're with us in every step of the way. Father, I just pray that you would help us lift our eyes to you this morning. Help us see you. Help us see you rightly. God, for the person in the room that is in pain, hurting, feeling the weight of the fallen world, I pray that you just give them hope, simple hope in you, God, that you know, that you understand. God, you know what it's like to hurt. You know what it's like to suffer. Thank you for sending Jesus to be our substitute. Thank you that he absorbed the punishment of all evil so that one day we would be free from it, God. We're excited for that day when we would join you. So thank you for this opportunity just to worship you, to worship a God who came near to us, to worship a God who is for us. I pray that you would help our hearts worship this morning. Be glorified through our praise. God, we love you. Pray this in your name. Amen.